Welcome to the latest episode of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. Now, today we've got another gentleman from the Horizon Labs Facebook and Twitter groups who's going to be joining us for his first, but certainly not last time, on the podcast. Welcome aboard, Lex Pendragon. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? So far, so good. All right. So today we are looking at story number 55, World War Hulk. So to get the technical details out of the way to begin with, this was a five-issue event miniseries. We're just covering the five-issue miniseries itself and not the ancillary tie-ins. I believe there's about 40 or so of those as a ballpark, which makes it one of the smaller Marvel events of this millennium. Written by Greg Pak, penciled by John Romita Jr., inked by Klaus Janssen, Colored by Christina Strain, lettered by Chris Iliopoulos. Editors were Nate Cosby as the assistant editor, Mark Penicia as the primary editor, and Joe Casada as editor in chief. The cover dates ranged from August 2007 to January 2008, and the actual issues were released ranging from June 13, 2007 to October 31st of 2007, ending on Halloween. All right, so we're getting into the plot, the significance. This plot may be a little bit awkward to discuss without spoiling later episodes of the podcast. I noticed this one does really take place like deep in the middle of some of the other events and stuff that's going on. I believe this is set just just prior to Civil War boiling over or Yeah, Civil War was done. Okay, so it had finished at that point, but they were at one point uh Tony Stark has said something to the effect of I will grant amnesty to any hero who comes out to help. Yeah, the last issue of Civil War came out around January 2007, so this okay. is very much at the height of the initiative. Okay. Greg Pak's run on the Hulk actually began a little over a year prior. Okay. So the idea was actually pitched to him by Joe Quesada. Because mm -hmm. Civil War was coming up, they weren't sure which side to place the Hulk on, but they knew they had to deal with him somehow and involve him if he was still on planet. So Quesada said, why don't we make him a gladiator off planet and just take him out of the equation? That storyline became Planet Hulk, mm -hmm. and that's actually going to be episode 41 of this podcast. So it's coming up in about 14 weeks' time. So going to be light on the details for Planet Hulk for people who are reading in sequence and don't want spoiled, which is going to be tough to do that's because this is the immediate do. fallout. Exactly. This, I think that a lot of like even the emotional impact of World War Hulk is because of the buildup you get in Planet Hulk. Yeah. Omitting as many details as possible, mm -hmm. the executive summary of Planet Hulk is that actually the four issues prior to Planet Hulk, there's a story where they actually got the Hulk off planet by taking the Illuminati, so that's your Black Bolts, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, and Iron Man in particular, who used a life model decoy of Nick Fury to trick the Hulk into boarding a spaceship, blast him off into space with the idea of saying, hey, you know you're a danger, we know you're a danger, we know your periods of lucidity, they never last. We found you a nice planet that can sustain you. It supports life, but there's no intelligent life. You can finally be alone. You can be at peace. Things do not follow that plan. And the Illuminati were so wrapped up in the Civil War that they didn't notice that his spacecraft didn't go where they sent it. Right. Things went pear-shaped after that, as they often do in comics. Yeah. So when Hulk actually lands at his final destination in that trip, the first period of time he had there in the Planet Hulk story was pretty darn miserable, but he does ultimately get to be the happiest he's ever been. And then the spacecraft that brought him there explodes. I might as well spoil this part, because if you read along with the podcast, it's already been spoiled by this story. 
he found a, a wife who was pregnant with his child, and she was killed in that explosion, along with most of the planet. And the Hulk gathered his warbound of the people that fought with him when he was getting out of that rough period on Planet Hulk, gathered them together, and came back to Earth. So this is also following Civil War, so try not to spoil too much of podcast number two. Mm-hmm. That's coming up in May 2016. The heroes have basically split, with Iron Man in charge of one group and Captain America in charge of the other, and the letter of the law is on Iron Man's side. Right. It, this didn't delve too heavily into that, I noticed. Like, by the time this story is taking place, I could tell it was in the middle of Civil War just because of what Tony Stark was doing, or I should say at the end of Civil War because of what Tony Stark was doing, but he wasn't, the rest of the heroes, it wasn't very Civil War in that they weren't still at each other's throats. It wasn't a lot of hero versus hero action, ignoring the Hulk. And it was, a, they were, yeah. they spent more of the time actually acting like you would expect a collection of heroes to act. Yeah. And that was a conscious choice on the part of Greg Pak. Mm-hmm. I mean, he quite literally took that two-sentence pitch, or one-sentence pitch from Joe Quesada, Hulk is a gladiator in space, and turned it into a 14-issue run Mm -hmm. of Planet Hulk, some of which were extra-sized, and then it was Pac's idea to finish with World War Hulk. Mm -hmm. Because following Civil War, and knowing that they had Secret Invasion coming up, and some of these other, you know, very emotional, who's right, who's wrong, a lot of these stories in the pipeline, they wanted something that was just, you know, fun and new and different. And just bubblegum. Yeah, that's that's World War Hulk. Very much so. That was the one thing I noticed in uh, my more recent read-through. If you were to try to edit this down and take out all the fighting, you'd probably end up with less than an issue. Yeah. It's a lot of so-and-so shows up, the Hulk is mad at that person, they fight, the Hulk wins, next. Yeah, if you take out the fighting and the exposition explaining why there's fighting... Mm-hmm. I think you have about three pages of Iron Man and Reed Richards con- trying to convince the Sentry to come fight. Right. That's all that's left. Right. So it, and the, I wouldn't necessarily say that's a bad thing. And if you're looking for deep emotional plot and you know driven storylines, you know you're better off going to read something written by Hickman, I'm sure. But if you're looking for just yeah. you know a brawler, this would be the story for you. Yeah. I mean, if there is some emotional resonance, if you've read Planet Hulk, you get why the Hulk is in this position. I usually try to keep the conversation to just the issues that are related to the this miniseries mm-hmm. or the ones that are on the countdown. This actually had a, a tie-in with Ghost Rider that I found quite enjoyable. Yes. I read I have read that one as well. It was um it was great just because go ahead and tell it that. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, all this stuff is going on in Manhattan, lives are at risk. The spirit of vengeance gets on his bike, comes out there, shows up, looks at the Hulk and says, No, you know what? You deserve vengeance. I'm out of here. Yeah. Gets on his bike and leaves a blazing trail away. And the Hulk just kind of turns around and smiles like, I told you guys I'm right. And that, that's what I was saying about this. This does have a very, it, like, it's not an emotionally drawn out. It's not an emotional roller coaster. But there is a lot of emotion you can side with. And I think it's actually well written that way because people who are fans of the Hulk usually are fans of the, you know, rage-filled monster. They... And a lot of the people I've ever talked to identify with the idea of somebody who is just so consumed with rage that, you know, they turn into this giant green monster, essentially. That's that's what he was always written to be, and that's what he's the poster boy for. Everybody knows the Hulk as that. And this story encapsulates that. This takes everything that happened to him in Planet Hulk, he loses it all, and he blames uh, these four individuals, uh, Doctor Strange, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Iron Man, and uh, Black Bolt, for having lost all of this. 
and that's made him angrier than he's ever been. And in reading this, and he's he's angry because he's lost his wife, the love of his life, and his kid that he never got to experience, and he feels it. And I know I've got a wife and kids, and if somebody were to mess with them, I would probably be filled with equal amounts of rage. So you side with the Hulk in that one, and they paint everybody else as like, we're the heroes in this, but <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the only debate you can have with the Hulk is his approach, mm-hmm. right? He is absolutely right in he was wronged and these people, right, justice is required. Right. The only debate is whether or not it's the appropriate tack to take is to show up, tell the world, these guys launched me into space. It was a miserable experience. I'm coming for them. You've got 24 hours to evacuate Manhattan before I destroy the whole thing unless these guys turn themselves over. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, the I'm going to destroy Manhattan bit is the piece that it's the, uh, really the only piece of his tactic that you can debate. But that's also very much the Hulk. That's very much the Hulk. But given everything that happened to him and, you know, losing the love of your life and your unborn kid, that's pretty considerate of the Hulk even. Because I'm the one the one thing I remember, I think it was technically in the prelude. I think it may have been in the very first issue of World War Hulk. There's a scene of him on the front of his spaceship as the spaceship is heading, you know, beeline for Earth. I'm going to get these guys back. And the Hulk is just standing on the front of it. And I'm pretty sure this is the prelude where they go into detail about this. And like somebody passes yeah. by and thinks it's a statue, like a hood ornament on the spaceship until they, you know, like the brood or some alien race attacks it. And he just picks them up and smashes them. And he's just there angry, waiting to get to Earth. And that level of rage of just, come on, we're going. I'm going to rip everybody to shreds when I get there. I'm surprised he paused long enough to tell Manhattan, you guys should probably get out of my way. Yeah, that is very much in line with this version of the Hulk. Yes. I mean, the Hulk has had wildly varying levels of intelligence over the years. Right. You know, the last time we recorded a podcast about the Hulk, which as I'm speaking now, I realized has not been published yet and won't be until November, was Wolverine's first appearance. Mm-hmm. And in that issue, Hulk is treated as maybe the average two or three year old mm-hmm. in terms of intelligence level. If it's very clear good and evil, he's okay with it. If it starts to deviate, he doesn't get it and gets very, very mad that he doesn't get it. And the Hulk will do that. I mean, you get some issues where he can hold a conversation with you and other issues where if you get Hulk smash out of him, that's considered, you know, a lot of words for him. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why, generally speaking, I haven't been a Hulk fan. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I like the brains over brawn. And prior to Peter David, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of Hulk stories were, well, the first few, the first six issues of the miniseries were kind of all over the map. He didn't actually start transforming because of his fury until after those six issues were done and he had a Tales to Astonish run. Mm-hmm. And then when the Hulk got mad, he turned back into Bruce Banner. So it was a few issues in a Tales to Astonish before it became what we're used to, where Bruce Banner gets mad, becomes the Hulk, Hulk comes down, becomes Bruce Banner. Okay. So from that early Tales to Astonish, right up until Peter David took over, almost every Hulk story was, you know, Hulk want to be left alone. Why are you attacking Hulk? Hulk smash. You know smash? Hulk get mad. Hulk stronger. Hulk smash harder. Hulk win. <laughs> yeah. And some people, especially, you know, the two-year-olds that you want to read a comic to, will really enjoy that because they can sympathize. <laughs> but yeah. it takes until, you know, like you said, it was the Peter David run where, uh, is that, did he start calling himself the professor or did they just kind of decide that Banner's brain stuck around? It was as a result of Hulk 377, All Hulks Unite, when Leonard Sampson brought in the Rigmaster to hypnotize the Hulk, unify the personalities, later retconned as creating a new personality. Mm-hmm. That has Bruce Banner's intelligence, 
and most of Bruce Banner's personality, but a little more assertiveness and you essentially created a new persona. Mm-hmm. I think that was described as the Gray Hulk, like the attitude of the Gray Hulk, the yeah. intelligence of Bruce Banner and the power of the Green Hulk. Some of that. Yeah, he was he was a, a happier fellow than the Gray Hulk mm-hmm. was, but he wore bunny slippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That professor run is is a great run. I actually have a necktie with. The Hulk's face from a panel of the Bunny Slippers issue, oh, which I believe was January 91, issue 390, if memory serves. And then recently they did something similar where they've done the uh, his current run. He's they, He calls himself Doc Green. And I'm not sure if you're caught up on these or not. I know you're busy with the podcast reading. Yeah, it's I'm only caught up to Mark Wade's last issue. Okay. So I know we're, that Extremis was used to correct Bruce Banner's brain, and there were very strong hints that he came back smarter. Yes, and the current run is basically he's got the brains of I don't he's not he's not Bruce Banner and he's very adamant mm-hmm. that he's not Banner, don't call me Banner, you know. But at the same time, he's got that level of intelligence and I believe he may fancy himself as being smarter than Bruce Banner, but he's it's just the Hulk. It's not a Banner's brain and Hulk's body, it's a smart Hulk. So, and they, I, they they've taken another approach to that and it's it's a an interesting character, an interesting twist on it. Uh, I believe that run is beginning to wind down, given what they're doing in the comics. I'm sure all of them are winding down now. Yeah. Yeah. So for the benefit of the listeners, mm-hmm. this is being recorded a little over a month before the release. Mm-hmm. So some of the things we're talking about that's going on right now may be over and done with by the time you hear it. But yeah, this Hulk is what they frequently refer to as the Savage Hulk. Right. So more like the, the Grey Hulk of the Peter David era, where... You know, he's not a nuclear physicist, but he can hold a conversation with anyone. Yeah. He can lay down a right. rudimentary plan, at least. Yeah. And this, the plan he's got here is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. He came in, took out Black Bolt first, which, let's get into my personal history. This is one that I've never been a huge fan of the Hulk. I started reading it because of the Git Corp DVD ROMs. Mm-hmm. They were a steal. And at the time, I was having not really looked closely at the 90s. I had decided I want to own every incontinuity story that Marvel's ever published. Admirable goal. Yeah. So they start putting out these DVD ROMs with 500 full color issues scanned PDS for 50 bucks. I was all over those. Yeah. And I've got enough of a collector streak that I realized, well, then if I just pick up the Incredible Hulk when the DVD comes in, I will have every issue. Mm-hmm. So that DVD ROM actually ended off partway through the Planet Hulk run because okay. they usually wrapped up, you know, at the most recent issue that they possibly could and still hit their release schedule. So it's just whatever came out last. As they were getting those DVDs burned and out the door, that was on the disc. So I believe it actually covered up to, but not including, issue 100 of that second volume, where that second volume went Mm -hmm. from 92 to 105 and then led directly into this. Mm -hmm. So I would just started reading it partly because of that and partly because it was getting all the Marvel events with all the Mm tie-ins. And this this was good for that. This was, there was a lot of tie-ins that gave you a lot of different corners of the Marvel universe. It did feel, the tie-ins especially felt well, we're doing an event. We have to make sure we include the X-Men. They have nothing to do with it, but <laughs> eh, we'll throw an X-Men story in over here. Somebody happens to land near the school. Yeah, we had that. We had probably the the transformation of Incredible Hulk into Incredible Hercules mm-hmm. was a nice one with Amadeus Cho and Hercules, Angel, Namora, who get about two panels in this one where there's an acknowledgement of, well, these guys are trying to deal with it, although they're taking a different approach to trying to reason with them. And in the actual event, because I just started rereading it, and I was—I um, don't think I ever read the Incredible Hercules stories, but I did read like in here, and you see a couple of different places where 
it's clear, oh, you should go over and read the tie-in. Mm -hmm. We'll show you something happened, but we're not going to give you the details. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's essentially the, the extent of that five-issue Incredible Hercules mm -hmm. tie-in story. The first few issues are like the team getting together to try and reason with the Hulk, and their actual encounter with the Hulk is about two panels here, uh -huh. where someone's going, oh, it looks like Hercules has a team together. Ah, uh, didn't work. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. There's, there's a lot of panels like that where, oh, here, they're going to try it. This person's dealing with the Hulk. No, it didn't. This person's going to fight the Hulk. Nah, never mind. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I had an issue with when this first came out was how easily he took out Black Bolt. Mm-hmm. Just because I've been an Inhumans fan, Black Bolt has a tremendous amount of power. That rubbed me the wrong way. And that feeling lasted about a year. Mm -hmm. That feeling went away for reasons that will be discussed in episode number 20 of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil that now, but when you get to episode 20, things are revealed in that storyline that took place before this one. Okay. That made the outcome of that fight very possible to be the way it was here. I had taken it as... In more recent issues of the Hulk, they have stated things so that the Hulk's essentially fueled by rage. So the matter he gets, the stronger he gets. And I've taken, I personally have taken that as the matter he gets, the more the rest of his power set increases as well. And they usually address one of the items in his power set is he's a healer. He's um, able to, like, he, he regenerates some. And they don't usually yeah. focus on it the same way they do Wolverine or anything like that. But if he gets hurt, he gets better. And if he's angrier, and in this story, he's supposed to be angrier than he's ever been, he's stronger and he regenerates faster. So yes, Black Bolt would have blown him away, but mm -hmm. even having blown him away completely, he was so angry, he just regenerated and was able to come back at Black Bolt. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's plausible. I think that may have been more an emotional thing than a cognitive thing. Right. It's, it's Black Bolt. <laughs> yeah. And it's, as I said, it was the Hulk, because at this point, I hadn't actually read Peter David's run yet. Mm -hmm. That came after I owned the DVDs and hadn't gotten nearly that far. We've mm -hmm. a little bit of my personal history here. How about yourself? Uh, well, my personal history with Hulk, I believe Planet Hulk may be one of the first longer stories of, of the Hulks I've read. Um, I'm up to date currently with the stuff they've been publishing over the last year or two. Um, I think he's the, the Wade run, um, his current stories. But as far as historical Hulk. I've read an issue or two here and there. I read, I forgot, um, Future Imperfect. That was the title with uh, Peter okay. David's, um, with the whole Hulk going to the future and finding, uh, is it supposed to be pronounced the maestro? The, the maestro. Maestro. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how it's supposed to be pronounced. It's print and I always have those problems with the comic. The maestro and his storyline. So I've read those. This is more, I view the Hulk as, depending on which incarnation you've gotten. Like I was saying earlier, You've got Doc Green now. That's one character. Then you've got Bruce Banner, who's a different personality, so therefore he may as well be a different character. You've got Grey Hulk. You've got Savage Hulk. You've got this Hulk. And this version of the Hulk, uh, I believe they, they tend to refer to him as like the World Breaker Hulk or King Hulk. He's got his own distinct personality. So it's almost like the rest of the Hulks don't tie in. It's like you're getting rid of one Hulk and replacing him with this story. Yeah, this incarnation is the one uh, when writer Greg Pak was on Word Balloon, which is how I found about the pitch of the history. Right. He refers to him as the Savage Hulk. The Savage Hulk? Okay. Yeah. So his, you know, he's saying he's not like the Bruce Banner 160 plus IQ. He's more like, a, you know, 115 to 130 IQ, mm -hmm. but, you know, brought in elements of the Grey Hulk. So he is, it's quite possible that he'd be the leg breaker for the mob. He's not. Yeah. He, he's a thug. Yeah. He's not 
He's not going to go out of his way to hurt innocents, which is what we see here when mm-hmm. he gives that warning, get out of Manhattan in 24 hours, mm-hmm. or I will not be responsible for what happens to you. I'm here for those four guys. If those four guys show up before the 24 hours are done, nobody else gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And we even see that there's a few moments when people are fighting and Hulk actually outright tells people, I'm not here for you. If you give me a clear path to that guy, we don't have to do anything to each other. I don't have to touch you. We can just walk away. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he gives uh, Thunderbolt Ross that kind of warning. I think he sees him and he's just like, oh, good. Something to <laughs> I, I got 24 hours to kill here. <laughs> I think I can take you with me. Yeah, I believe Ben Grimm gets the warning. He's like, yeah, you give me a clear path to, to read. Yeah. And you and I were good. Yeah. I, and Ben not says, not going to happen. And they fight. Right. But yeah, Thunderbolt Ross gets in the way. He's it's like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, good. I'll smash you. <laughs> oh, good. You're here. I needed, I had time to kill. <laughs> yeah, he deserves it. Because let's here. face it, he's earned that over the years. Yes. Yes, he has. He's, I, I, I read his, his run in Thunderbolts was my biggest exposure to him during the, uh, as the Red Hulk, the most recent Thunderbolts. And I really came to dislike the character, which is, you know, I'm pretty sure the intention, you know, so I think it was well written. It's a character you're supposed to dislike, but it was very well done. So this was my exposure to Thunderbolt Ross was largely the recent one as the Red Hulk. This was going back, I'm assuming before he becomes the Red Hulk because he doesn't Hulk out during this. Yeah, this is, it, this is actually the storyline that made that possible. Okay. And, but you see, but so you see plenty of regular human Thunderbolt Ross commanding an army and then the Hulk tears into him and it's like, yep, he deserved that. Yeah, the Hulk ends up tearing into a lot of people. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, as he's coming after the Illuminati, Reed Richards tries to simulate the Sentry because mm-hmm. when Paul Jenkins created the Sentry in his miniseries, he retroactively established that the Sentry was able to calm down the Hulk and help avoid things. Mm-hmm. So this is why the heroes were going to the Sentry to try and get him in the fight because they figured if anyone can calm the Hulk down, it's him. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's Rick Jones that does a better job of that than anyone else. Mm-hmm. But Reed Richards tries to simulate the energies of the Sentry to calm Hulk down. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Iron Man comes in with Hulk Buster armor and nanotech, and that doesn't work. Doctor Strange channels the power of Zom, an interdimensional demon that was last seen in some of the last issues of Strange Tales mm-hmm. in, from the 1960s before it broke into his own book. That didn't work, and Black Bolt got his butt handed to him on the moon. And then Hulk was taking retribution, making them fight in a gladiatorial arena and just going after them during the story. We ultimately learn that the explosion that wiped out the planet that he was blaming on these guys, saying they sabotaged his spacecraft, was actually caused by one of his warbound who didn't want peace. Mm-hmm. And it was a member of that group who was trying to keep the fight going that did it. And that revelation sort of shocked the Hulk enough to calm him down enough that he could be vulnerable. So this ends with Bruce Banner comatose being taken into custody in a, a tank of red fluid. Right. I think the Hulk has, isn't seen after this for a while either. Yeah, the Hulk was off the publication schedule for a few months and then came back with the Jeff Loeb run, not an Incredible Hulk, but just Hulk starring the Red Hulk. Mm-hmm. And that was, I believe his run was about 24 issues where there was a mystery about who the Red Hulk was. Mm-hmm. And it was the backstory about how you know Thunderbolt Ross became the Hulk. Doesn't completely jive because as you said, he doesn't Hulk out in this. Mm-hmm. But it's that the red fluid that they had Bruce Banner contained in at the end that was part of the inspiration for the Red Hulk. And that's where this was going. But when Thunderbolt Ross explains how he became the Red Hulk, the events that turned him into the Red Hulk had to predate this story. Okay. Which leaves the question of why didn't he Hulk out? <laughs> yeah, that is a good, that does become an interesting question. My, um, kind of my personal history as far as reading these goes, I remember reading the World War Hulk story, I believe as it came out, like, 
uh, as it was being published. However, I think I wasn't as immersed in the rest of co the comics. So I was reading World War Hulk, read a lot of these issues, all the tie-ins and stuff like that. And then there's a gap in what I've read for about a year or two before I kind of dive back into everything. So I picked up like after the Red Hulk is just a regular guy, like he's on the Avengers now by the time okay. I pick up again. So it's like, well, wait, who was he? That sounded like an interesting storyline, you know? And I'm going back and I'm like, oh yeah, that does make sense. And Wikipedia fills in all the details. So I've caught a lot of that, but I haven't actually read it and didn't see a lot of it happen after this story. So I kind of caught this and then I pick up a couple of years later. Okay. For the Red Hulk story, suffice it to say, I was not surprised that it did not make the list. <laughs> and I haven't heard a lot of people saying how good these ones were. So I haven't gone back and reread things like the Red Hulk and stuff like that. So yeah, I think uh, Red Hulk peaked when Jeff Loeb left and Jeff Parker took over. Mm -hmm. But Parker did a fantastic job with it. Mm -hmm. And Loeb, it was like, I don't know. I wasn't happy with the way he wrapped up some of the mysteries and some of the red herrings that he threw out. Ah. But anyway. But meanwhile, in World War Hulk. <laughs> yeah. So I think we've actually sort of coincidentally covered the significance of the storyline. Mm -hmm. Right. This ended one chapter of the Hulk as a character at Marvel and opened another. Mm -hmm. So Bruce Banner was off the table. The Red Hulk shows up and Bruce Banner returned within the Red Hulk title. And they were both going for a while. Because with that red fluid and seeing Bruce Banner contained in red containment units, it was supposed to open the question, was Bruce Banner now the Red Hulk? Mm -hmm. Or was it someone else? We did later learn it was Thunderbolt Ross. Right. But that's essentially this this plot. Like the Hulk, issue one, Hulk smash Black Bolt. Issue two, Hulk smash Reed Richards and Doctor Strange. Issue three, Hulk keeps smashing Doctor Strange. And, uh, yeah, Iron Man was in issue one. And then yep. later on, he smashes the other heroes. He smashes the Sentry. And then issue five, yeah, he starts off with him ruling the roost. And then we find out what was really going on. He learns that the death of his wife was a betrayal of a member of the Hive. Mm -hmm. And it all goes south from there. Right. And then you get, I think one of the nice, interesting pieces of this is you do get a, you're obviously not meant directly to identify with the Hulk. He's painted as the villain in this story because all the heroes that you're supposed to like, your Iron Man, your, you know, Mr. Fantastic. I shouldn't even say them because you've got the rest of the heroes. You've got your She-Hulk, you've got Spider-Man, you've got Luke Cage, all on the side of the people who don't want to be smashed by the Hulk. And yep. so you're supposed to identify with the people who don't want to get caught in this crossfire of, yeah, they may have wronged the Hulk and you may want to smash those four people, but you're taking out everything in the process that's not the right thing to do. So you're supposed to identify with that, but it does leave you like, well, no, I kind of do. The Hulk does have a you know <laughs> legitimate gripe with these people. Maybe we should just get out of the way and we need to blame those four people for what's going wrong. So you get kind yeah. of the in-between feeling on this. Like you're not sure which side you're supposed to fall on, I don't think. Yeah, the Hulk is very much a sympathetic villain in this. Yes. And as you said, we actually get, one of the nice things I get is they're demanding the evacuation of Manhattan. And there are some people who are refusing to evacuate and they're out there protesting with signs and saying, no, no, no. And there's people going, yeah, after what those guys did to the Hulk, Hulk, I'm going to watch you smash them. Yeah, bring it on. There's, right. I, there's a bunch of panels of, you know, the typical protesters, but they're more like sports fans. Like you can see them, you know, with, you know, like go green signs that they're holding up and saying, you know, let's, you deserve this Hulk, go kill them. But they also portray a lot of those people as like, you know, the punks on the street who just want to see violence. Yeah, you do have a mix. And frankly, it's the mix of what you're going to see in a legitimate <laughs> evacuation of these territories. Exactly. And I, I did think it was a little, I think it was a little comic book, just how, oh, we need to get everybody out of Manhattan for this horrible event coming. Okay, we actually did it. Yeah. And it was, it was like, you know, 
nice for the plot and so you could tell the story you need those kind of elements but at the same time it's like really you just got a couple million people up and moved somewhere else they never tell you where they end up they're just i guess a couple million people sitting around waiting for the hulk to get out of the way so they can go home i will take that over the classic 60s trope of good thing that 20-story building he just went through was abandoned <laughs> yes true or having things oh it didn't land on anyone yeah and that was actually not to get too far past this, but when the series relaunches and we get Incredible Hulk 600 and 601 and so forth, also written by Greg Pak, he addresses that head on. Mm -hmm. How is it possible that the Hulk has never killed anyone or any innocents in mm -hmm. all of this destruction? And I really like his take on that, especially given how out of place the flashback issue of the Hulk, the negative one issue from July 1997, felt. He actually brings it all together huh. Huh. in about two panels of dialogue and Everything makes sense. It's it's nicely done. I'll have to go seek those ones out. It sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much the Hulk and Amadeus show together, and it's it's very well done. Mm -hmm. But it, it does feel very comic book with all of that. It does feel very, well, we're going to have the Hulk versus Black Bolt. Now we're going to have the Hulk versus Iron Man. Okay? And it does feel like they just went out of their way to set that particular storyline up. And I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, that's what this event was. Mm -hmm. That's fans of the Hulk. That's the target market, too. It's You want to see the Hulk smash. Yep. I think it was Laura Schoberg, who's another uh, web comedian that I always enjoyed, and he was doing a review of things, and he mentioned the Hulk, and he says, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. He goes, actually, I find myself, I only like the Hulk when he's angry. I'm not very interested in, you know, he has an image up of the unflappable Bruce Banner. He's just like, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what this is. This was really, you said it was part of an evolution, and for Greg Pak, it was a three-part story. Mm -hmm. Part one was Planet Hulk. This was part two. Mm -hmm. So this was a very intense second act, and I agree that you to really get the most out of it, you do have to read Planet Hulk before it. Mm -hmm. Great. And then the third act is one that's teased at the end of this. So the Hulk has assumed that his pregnant wife and child both died. His child survives. And that's the Scar, Son of Hulk series, as they were trying to turn the Hulk into a franchise. I think that may have been a conscious decision on Marvel's part, looking at what DC had already done with Green Lantern and success like that. And what Marvel had done years ago with Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Hulk's got movies coming out at this point. Let's see if we can't, you know, have a few more Hulk books on the market and expand that corner of the universe. I think they also started coming out with like World War Hulks, where they just, every mm. can't, every character that had any ties to any gamma radiation seemed to get their own book just after this. World War Hulks, I think, was much later. That was it tied in with the Red Hulk stories, I believe. It was. So World War Hulks was down the road where Greg Pak, he was still writing it, and mm -hmm. his idea was, well, you know, we've Hulk has said for years he just wants to be left alone, and yet he's got all the supporting cast. What if he's not alone? And they made a whole team of Hulks. Mm -hmm. So that was your Red She-Hulk, your Red Hulk, your Jennifer Walter She-Hulk, your interdimensional Lyra She-Hulk, uh, Scar, Son of Hulk, A-Bomb, who was Rick Jones, all these other Hulks put together against the supervillain version of the Illuminati. Also nicely done explaining why all these bad guys keep coming back to life. With these really convoluted ways, you know, avoiding death, they're not avoiding death. The Illuminati figured out how to bring each other back to life. They had this deal, but to not draw attention to each other, they agreed to just bring everybody else back to life, which is how the Absorbing Man keeps getting himself put back together, because they're putting him back together. Ah. And all this. So these other villains don't even know what help they were getting. That was a really nice touch. That actually. sounds like the current TV show that I haven't watched yet, but they have uh, it's the Marvel animation, Hulk and the Agents of Smash. Yeah, I, I think that was the the inspiration for it from what I've just this the press releases I've seen. I haven't watched an episode, but it's the same lineup. 
I do know they also started getting confused. Um, all the different Hulks seemed to start getting confusing because uh, I believe it was Inara when she was still about two or two or three. My uh, my daughter, she was looking at the different Marvel comic characters and she saw, she goes, oh, and this is the Red Hulk. This is the Green Hulk. And this is the Orange Hulk. What? Orange Hulk? Yeah, the Orange Hulk. No, that's the thing. Yeah, Orange Hulk. Yeah, I can't argue. Orange Hulk. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to pause there for the listeners for a few moments. Yes, Lex did name his daughter Inara. Yes, I have. In our end, my younger daughter is Majel. My older daughter is Raven. Okay. So I think I think that's about it for the sort of the surface layer. In terms of the deeper meanings, the portion of the podcast that I have shamelessly stolen from Mission Log, and if you're even slightly interested in Star Trek, you need to be listening to the Mission Log podcast. One of the things that they regularly do is check for morals, meanings, and messages in episodes of Star Trek, since Star Trek does that quite regularly. And quite well. Yeah, often, yes. The reason my youngest daughter is named Majel. Comics don't do it as often, but they do do it. In this one, I think there is a deeper meaning or a theme here, and it's just, you reap what you sow. This whole thing came out because the Illuminati overstepped their bounds and wronged the Hulk. Had they not done that, the Civil War story would have been harder to write, but the destruction of Manhattan would not have taken place. The planet Hulk was on. It would still be a miserable planet, but at least people would be alive and miserable. Mm-hmm. I have to agree with you on that. It the uh, like you had said about the Ghost Rider tie-in, when Ghost Rider shows up, goes and looks at the Hulk and says, "No, you're right. You deserve vengeance. Go for it." I mean, this is the Illuminati. All of the people that you're supposed to feel are your heroes, they screwed up, and this they're going to have to deal with what they screwed up. And that happens mm-hmm. to be a very, very angry Hulk. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things I do like about the way Doctor Strange was handled here. He's an, another one of some of my personal favorites, partly because Infinity Gauntlet was a big part of my teenage years and my original run of comic collecting and he was a big part of that but when there's all this coming down and tony stark is saying okay we need to deal with this we're gonna have to avoid it that way do it and dr strange is going what are you talking about he's right we did this to him now we got to deal with it our own way right we're, we're paying penance for the choices we made he's the, the one guy out there who opens the conversation by taking complete and total responsibility for what happened he's like yeah hulk is right we did that to him we thought it was for the greater good now he's back not so much yeah and that that's kind of one of the themes that uh they take at the very beginning of the comic is they go to dr strange and like can't you send him to another dimension he's like why so he can come back even more pissed off no we we made this bed guys we need to deal with the fallout of this we can't just push it off somewhere else anymore yeah and that they'd actually tried that already yeah around issue 300 or so the hulk was at the crossroads and it was dr strange that sent him there right and dr strange and the hulk have always gotten like they were on the defenders together, weren't they? And I never read any of them, but I know they seem to have like the Hulk, not just Banner, but the Hulk and Doctor Strange seem to have a better relationship than the Hulk and most other characters. Like Doctor Strange gets yeah, him. Very much so. Another one of the deeper meanings in this particular story, there's rage, but then there's the right ways to deal with it. And leveling Manhattan's probably not the right way to deal with your rage. No. But one of the things I did like about it is as it comes to the end. I mean, that's how it all comes to a hand ahead, and we find out that it was one of Hulk's teammates or his warbound that caused the destruction. You know, Hulk's at the point where every one of these guys can die, and Hulk chooses not to kill them. And he's like, "You guys are right. I'm not here for vengeance. I'm not here for revenge. I'm here for justice." That's been dealt with. We're done now. And it was—I I don't want to mention which character did it for fear of spoiling. It if anyone hasn't read that those issues yet, but that's when one of the characters is going, "No, no, you can't do this." I mean that. I set that bomb on the other one. I let it blow up just so you would stay angry. You can't keep calming down and stopping the fight. We need to keep the fight going. 
And that's when Hulk's like, wait, wait, what do you mean you did that? What, tell me. Explain. So, yeah. And that, so, yeah, I think a lot of this is also, and like I said, it's another very common theme with just the Hulk. It's managing your rage. Like, it's not bad to feel the rage. Rage is okay in certain aspects, but you have to deal with it correctly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Which has been a running theme in the Hulk. Yeah. So, as a Hulk story, this does become one of a like the prime examples of it, at least in recent memory. I haven't, I don't have the previous forty years worth of Hulk knowledge to draw from, but yeah, I would say this is. I mean, I've I've read every issue of the Hulk up to the end of Mark Wade's run, so I haven't read Jerry Duggan's run mm-hmm. that's going on now. But I've read the rest, including the uh, Iron Man Hulk miniseries from Original Sin. Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, Peter David, Greg Pak, and Mark Wade have had the best runs on the character in that time. And of those three, this is the one that's most closely tied to the original themes that were introduced in the Tales to Astonish run when it was about controlling the rage monster inside you. Right. And what was going on with that. It pulls in Thunderbolt Ross in a way that if you read it on your own, uh, having seen it from the, you know, seen the recent Marvel produced movies or even Ang Lee's film, if you know. Thunderbolt Ross from there, who did not appear in the 70s TV series, or if you read some of the essentials of the early issues of Hulk, that's great. I remember going, wait, what? When I mentioned earlier that this has to take place, or the events that led to Red Hulk had to take place before this, that's because the process that turned Thunderbolt Ross into the Red Hulk is the same process that brought him back to life. Mm -hmm. So the last time we saw Thunderbolt Ross on panel before this story, he was dead. So that was a bit of a disconnect for me reading it going, what did I miss? When did he come back to life? Right. So that's something I just assumed it was something I had missed because I had been working my way through the DVD ROMs. I mm. hadn't gotten this far yet. And so that was the process. So I figured, oh, it's yeah, it's somewhere in that no man's land I haven't read yet. It wasn't. I, it was actually retroactively revealed as part of Jeff Loeb's Hulk run. Interesting. I mean, I could, if I were trying for a no prize, could easily say that Thunderbolt Ross, he's very, especially at that point, he would have been very protective of his identity and the fact that he can become the Red Hulk. So when he fights the Hulk and everybody knows that Thunderbolt Ross is fighting the Hulk, you don't want the Red Hulk to show up and Thunderbolt Ross to be conveniently absent. But that I'm I'm justifying. I'm not explaining that. <laughs> yeah, it it is plausible, but it would have been Difficult. it would have been nice to have more than a, a, a couple of panels of dialogue to explain it away. Right. But, Agreed. Because then yeah, I I get why he would come back as the Red Hulk. I don't get why the military would say, Oh, we thought you were dead. Here's your old job back without a better explanation than anything he would have been able to provide. Well, well, this is the Marvel Universe. They may be a little bit more used to that than we are. Yeah. Death referred to it herself as our revolving door policy on death. Yeah, there are things that need to be, that would need to be explained. So mm-hmm. I mean, if you're reading it in isolation, as you would before this podcast, it's probably going to read better yeah. than it did for me trying to read it as a piece of continuity. Right. I had no concept of it. I read this part in isolation as far as the rest of the Hulk stories were going, and I had no idea that he had been dead, and I knew eventually he becomes the Red Hulk, but I just figured this was before that happened. So, yeah, in terms of, you know, why this landed where it did on the countdown at slot 55 of the 75 Greatest Marvel Stories of All Time, I think it's there for exactly the reason that Lex mentioned earlier. If you want something that nice and neatly sums up the Hulk as a pure Hulk action smash popcorn fun, you know, bubblegum story, this is it. If you're looking for a Hulk smash Hulk story, this is the one I point you to. Agreed. I think it's and it, it's well done. It's well drawn. I don't think I have anything I would complain about this other than the fact that just Hulk smash heroes isn't necessarily my cup of tea. I usually want a little bit more intrigue in my stories, more depth. But at the same time, 
you want something for a person who's just a fan of Hulk smash, look at that action. This is a great example of that kind of story. Yeah. And if you are coming in as fairly new to, to Marvel in general or to comics, even this is one that requires minimal previous knowledge. Agreed. If you've never read a comic before, but have seen some of the movies and TV shows, you might wonder why the Hulk is this smart. You might wonder who the Sentry is, because to my knowledge, the Sentry has never appeared in anything outside the comic book page. But aside from those two points, right, everything that you need is summarized on these pages. Even with the Sentry, I th- I don't even necessarily think you need to have like seen Hulk movies or TV shows or anything like that. Everybody in society knows Hulk at this point. Like the idea of a giant green rage monster, people are familiar with that, even if you haven't watched it. It's just part of our common pulp culture now. So even with that, okay, this is a giant green rage monster. I agree. You probably would want to wonder why he's smarter than you expect him to be and not just yelling Hulk smash all the time. As far as Sentry goes, Sentry arguably could just be a straight ripoff of Superman or any other Golden Age hero, which is what he was conceived as. Everybody has that concept as well, just super tough guy who has all kinds of power in a cape yep so that's really all you need to know about century and i haven't read too much about the century beyond this and i think i read siege also it's the only other time i saw anything with him in it so you don't need to know a lot and there are plenty of other characters who you know like i know them because i've read comics since there's other characters that showed up that i don't know them like i might know their name like uh their ronin makes an appearance here and there and i don't know who this ronin is i don't know but it doesn't matter yeah this ronin was clint barton oh I'm surprised to hear that. But yeah, I know Clint Barton. I didn't know he was this Ronin, and it doesn't matter. He's a hero. She-Hulk shows up. You you might kind of need to know who She-Hulk is to understand why she thinks she can talk to the Hulk, but just the fact that she's another Hulk should be reason enough. Everybody knows Spider-Man. So yeah, it it stands alone, even completely out. The events of where it's happening, like I thought this was happening during Civil War, or obviously just at the end of it, Mm -hmm. they play a small part that you don't know what's going on, as far as like why the heroes would need amnesty, like Tony Stark offers them at one point. But even with that, you can kind of yeah. gloss over it and you still get the basic Hulk smash Black Bolt, Hulk smash the Richard, yeah. and goes on. So just in case there's anyone listening who isn't familiar with those issues, because we haven't read that story yet, as we said, it's some heroes are on the side of the law, others are not. Why Iron Man has the ability to offer them amnesty is that at this point, Nick Fury is deep underground for reasons that will be explained in podcast number 20, and Iron Man is in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, that's basically what happens as a result of story we're talking about in podcast number two, Civil War. And with even without the exact knowledge of those things, this still reads very well through. You can pick up exactly where everything is. And like you said, you want to see what the Hulk's like when you need a good Hulk story and he's filled with rage? Here. Yeah, the biggest questions you might have are not what's going on or why are they doing this, as opposed to, okay, there's something going on. I get what it means emotionally to these guys. But you wouldn't necessarily know which book to pick up to get the answers to the questions you have. Right. Right. It's why is the status quo what it is? That's something that they don't point to. Right. And largely it doesn't matter. No, it's just if this engages you enough that you want to read more comics from this time, you're going to have to do some legwork to find out which comics those are. Right. That's about all it boils down to. You need those little boxes the bomb says, for more on this, read. Yeah, but this is a Joe Quesada editor-in-chief era, and he can't stand those boxes. Eh. One of his apparent rules when he came in was no canary yellow. Hmm which was the classic background color of the captions up to this point, especially the editor's boxes. There's a little bit of that in the uh, pre-Civil War Amazing Spider-Man issues, but that's if you check those, there's like two editors arguing with each other in the captions, and neither of them is in canary yellow. Oh, I can see that. And yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely 
you know, as you mentioned, there weren't any text boxes in this. That hadn't occurred to me until you just mentioned it. Yeah, there was a, a for a good run of Joe Quesada's era, there's very little caption boxes. If you do get the thing that used to be in captions, just locations, they'll just overlay the text with time and place over the image and not put it in a caption box. Mm -hmm. So did you have any closing thoughts on World War Hulk? I enjoy it. It, Like I said earlier, it's good uh, popcorn fare. I don't think it. we discussed deeper meanings about having to deal with your rage and this just being your classic Hulk story. But at the same time, they're not that deep. So. It, it's about as deep as Hulk stories get, really. Right. And, but it doesn't need to be. I mean, not not everything has to cause you to sit there and think about it for a few hours. Sometimes you can just watch Hulk smash Black Bolt and then Hulk smash the thing and then Hulk smash Mr. Fantastic and go from there. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that, as I said, that's the part we stole from Mission Log. So to use the Star Trek analogy, sometimes you, you get City on the Edge of Forever. Sometimes you get Star Trek First Contact. Exactly. <laughs> first Contact being enjoyable, but in no way deep. Correct. Or perhaps these days I should be comparing it to the first J.J. Abrams film. If we have to. Did you have any closing thoughts on World War Hulk? Or? Uh, nothing in addition to that. No, I think it's World War Hulk. I think it's a good read. I think it does belong on the tournament. It's probably good that it's towards the bottom of the tournament. I think there's some more important stories out there, mm -hmm. but not one to be completely discounted. Yeah, I think when you talk about the three criteria that land things on the podcast, where you talk about you know the deeper meanings, the continuity significance, and the, the enjoyment of the story itself. I think it's primarily an enjoyable story. A little bit of continuity significance as it led to the creation of the Red Hulk, but it wouldn't be terribly long before the Hulk that we were used to was back in print and running. Exactly. I think I think it also probably landed there, like we were saying earlier, is because it is a great example of the classic Hulk storyline. Like if you want a, what is a Hulk story to read? This one. Yep. All right. So that wraps up pretty much everything for World War Hulk. So Lex, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Right. And for those list uh, reading along at home, next week we are covering the four-issue Wolverine miniseries written by Chris Claremont and penciled by Frank Miller, which was collected originally in a Wolverine trade paperback, then in the Best of Wolverine hardcover, the Wolverine by Claremont and Miller hardcover, which was dedicated to this. It's also available on Marvel Digital Unlimited and Comixology. And the third issue only was pulled out and put in isolation as part of the Marvel Visionaries Chris Claremont trade paperback. So join us for that next week. Remember to rate the show and any other show you listen to on whatever your podcast feed is. It does help all shows remain visible. And thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Nuke Chas, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We more like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. Do you ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Mm, antagonist. Not really a guest. Maddie Bites. Nimwast.org. 